Welcome to the Tool Shed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From the MLB draft all the way to the show, we're here to help give you the edge in your dynasty leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. Welcome into episode 186 of the Tool Ship with Clegg and Cross, powered by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Eric Cross, and with me, as usual, is my 80 great co host, Mr. Chris Clegg. Chris, what's going on, bud? Yeah, not much. It's warmer weather. It's baseball season. Spring training games are about to start, and you'll be in Florida soon for spring training. Unfortunately, it won't be there, but I know first pitch Florida will be awesome, and you'll have a good time down there. So, man, it is uh, baseball season. I don't think there's any other way to put it we're getting a ton of news probably more than we want <laughs> getting some bad news on players yeah i was like it's but, more negative than positive right now yeah yeah that's the frustrating thing is a lot of a lot of negative news right now but you know soon enough we'll have some positive news we'll have the world baseball classic we'll have spring training so a lot to look forward to absolutely yeah and i am very much looking forward to getting to florida because unlike when we went to arizona in the fall where it was Nearly the same temperatures out there as it was here in Maine, which was just weird and annoyed me. It is very cold here right now. It's 16 degrees right now. It is snowing again. We just got about eight inches of snow last night. We got to get another four to five inches tonight. It's just been cold. It's got snow a little bit more next week when I'm in Florida. So definitely looking forward to getting to that warm weather, seeing some spring training games, hanging out, talking baseball. Because this is our third episode of the week. We did our hitter and hitting and pitching prospects to target or not in redraft episodes. So that was on Monday and Wednesday. So go back and check those out. Today, we're going to be doing a big old dynasty and prospect mailbag episode. Had a lot of fun questions asked. We'll get through as many as we can. Unfortunately, I don't think we can get through all of them in an hour or so, but we'll do our best. But before we get into the episode here, the usual housekeeping. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at RotoCleg. I'm at AirCross04. And our show's at Toolshed Pod. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review. Check out my Patreon for more work from me and Chris's Substack for more work from him. And before we get into the show, we want to say a quick word about our friends at Underdog Fantasy. If you sign up using the promo code Toolshed, you will receive a 100% deposit match up to $100. And that can be used on any of their fun fantasy games, including MLB best balls, individual player pickups across all sports, and so much more. Set up today using the code toolshed at play.underdogfantasy.com slash the letter P dash the dash toolshed. All right, so we kind of sorted these out as best we could. A lot of, I'd say probably at least two-thirds of these are probably prospect questions, but a lot of good ones. Let's start with somebody asked two questions in one tweet, so we kind of broke them up. First question was, which prospects would you say are the most likely to be in the top three on 2024 list so i'm taking that to assume you know about this time next year who who are some names you're thinking of chris well i think the first two will probably jump there pretty quick after gunner and carol graduate and that's ellie de la cruz and jackson churio i don't think either graduate i could be completely wrong on this and who knows crazier things have happened ellie could break camp but I do think both still need pretty significant development time in the minors, and neither team really needs to rush these guys. So I don't think that we're going to see 
either of them, barring like a late season call up, but it's likely not enough to make it where they graduate. So from that standpoint, like I will say Ellie De La Cruz and Jackson Churio would be one and two. But I think there's some sneaky players that could make that jump too. I think James Wood would not surprise me at all if he jumped up there. I mean, big, big upside. Really like what he brings to the table. I mean, you look at the guys from this last year's draft class. I think we could see Drew Jones jump up. We could see Jackson Holiday jump up. And if everything clicks right for Elijah Green, like he's certainly one that can make that jump too. I think everybody's favorite this offseason of Jackson Merrill's one where he could come and fly up boards. And there's a lot of other just, you know, high upside guys that are lower down on the list that really could make that jump. But I do think that the one two for sure I feel good about would be an Ellie De La Cruz and Jackson Shurio. And then from there, I'm just gonna say that it'll be James Wood will be the other in the top three. So I definitely agree that I don't think Ellie or Churio are going to graduate either. If one did, I think there's a higher chance that Ellie graduates than yes. Churio. I think Ellie could, if he just goes, you know, puts up video game numbers again in the upper minors this year, I could see, you know, late season. But Churio, I just don't see it, especially with all the names they have ahead of him in the outfield. They don't really have a need to rush him. So I think you can see him just like spend the entire year at double A AA and triple A, let, let him settle in, let him mash in the upper minors, and then bring him up, you know, early on next year, 2024, I'm just to say. So I agree they'll be up there. I actually think the one name you didn't mention that I actually think will be I, I do like this guy more long term than Shurio. Not ready to put him ahead of Ellie. I sh- I would in OBP formats. As I don't I'm still not sure if Ellie's are in high OBPs, but I'll throw in Jordan Lawler into this mix yeah. as well. I love Jordan Lawler, always have, dating back to pre-2021 draft when he was the number, what's he, number six overall pick, I want to say he was. And he was like right up there in, in the thick of, you know, number one, number two, number three for FYPD. You know, last year, 16 home runs, 39 steals. You know, showed a good approach of the plate as well. Solid contact skills. I think there's more power to be had in this profile. I think he could be, you know, maybe a 20 to 25 home run guy at peak. 25 plus steals. The guy's gonna hit, you know, solid average, solid OBP as well. So I think he'll be in the top three along with Ellie. I think Cherio could be up there. I definitely agree with, with James Wood. All of the, you know, the top guys from this past draft class. I mean, I want put it out of the realm possibility for someone like, you know, if Dylan Cruz or Wyatt Langford just go bonkers and just immediately, maybe not top three, but I can see both of them being top ten. Even initially, we're you know, both of us put basically put Drew Jones top 10. So why not someone like a Dylan Cruz or a White Langford, two more polished collegiate bats that could be top 10 or top close to it right after the draft. And if they go, you know, berserk in the you know, end of the season, if they get time, you know, I can see them pushing, you know, even higher than that. So a couple other names there I think could jump in. You know, I kind of want, I kind of want to do a dark horse here. Let's see who would I put as like a dark horse. Oh, that could get up there. I mean, I don't think Green's a dark horse. You already mentioned Elijah Green, and I definitely agree with that. And there's another question we have with Elijah Green that will tie in here in a second. I mean, in OBP formats, like, Emmanuel Rodriguez could? I don't know. Like, he showed, obviously, elite OBP skills, good power, good speed, and I wouldn't completely rule that out. I don't think Jackson Merrill will get up there, though. He's one where... 
obviously he's going to be, he's a great prospect and that's going to transfer over both sides, real life and fantasy. But I just don't see him ever getting to like top five levels. I don't think he has like that level of power speed in him. So I think he's a guy that could like get up into the 10 to 15 range to kind of just settle there, maybe back in top 10, but I don't know, but like top five or anything like that. I guess I go super dark horse just to have fun with it. I'll go Edwin Arroyo, you know, he's in Cincinnati or good power speed blend already. I think there's more power projection in the, in the profile. We'll see where the hit tool is at. That'll be the X factor and if he can keep the K rate in check, but he's got fun, really fun tools. So I'll put him as a little bit of a dark horse there just to have a fun pick. But the next question uh, kind of ties in Elijah Green versus Ellie De La Cruz in terms of pure raw tools. Like this is like, I mean, put it simply, they both have insane raw tools. Like you saw evaluators that have seen Elijah Green say that he has some of the best, maybe the best raw tools since you know Bryce Harper and Mike Trout. Obviously, Ellie's double plus or better power and speed. They both have some questions about the, the hit tool. Obviously, Ellie's already put up the elite numbers, and Green hasn't had a chance to yet. But that's what we're potentially looking at is that what Ellie did last year. Like Green could. I mean, I, mean, I hate to say that because what Ellie did last year was absolutely bonkers, but. They both have, like, this might be in terms of the pure ceiling, like, if everything clicks, these might be the two highest upsides in the minor leagues right now. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I think we know at this point what Ellie brings to the table. Like, we've we've seen it. We've seen the tools on display. We haven't seen that in minor league ball for Ellie, or for Elijah Green, excuse me. But that's okay, because we've seen him put up just absurd exit velocities he's a freak athlete and i think we know that he's capable of you know being elite across the board i think right now you're looking at a 70 power and a 70 run for ellie just based on his clock times and you know the evs and you know all that stuff kind of leads to a 70 power 70 speed which is pretty impressive he's he got one of the higher ceilings of any prospect in baseball and i think that elijah green also presents a similar ceiling of him being just that freak athlete. Now, both have their concerns. Both have swing and miss issues. They could be put behind them. But in a general sense, I think they're pretty close from just a raw tools standpoint. It'll just come down to who can hit the most. And that's still to be determined. But both have insane tools and some of the best tools in the minor leagues. Yeah, and people ask me why that I still have I mean, it's basically a coin flip, and I do have Holiday ahead in my OBP prospect rankings by a little bit. But you know, my app, my rankings for average leagues for prospect rankings, I still do have Green slightly ahead of Holiday, and I know that's going you know against the consensus here. But that's why people are like, hey, why do you why do you have Green ahead of Holiday here? I'm like, well, have you seen like Elijah Green? Like, yeah, Holiday is safer, absolutely. He's a higher floor, you know, pretty good upside of his own. I'm not saying he's just like a safe boring prospect, like. There's a lot of upside there as well, but like I said, 70 grades are getting thrown out multiple 70 grade, including in his arm as well. So, you know, this is a potential like absolute stud if everything clicks, like you like you mentioned, like we talked about before. It's all about the hit tool. And if he can keep the swing and miss in check, make enough contact. But if he does, like this is gonna be an absolute monster. And he has the upside that even though Holiday is very, very good, has good upside, higher floor, Holiday just cannot sniff. He's not in that ballpark in terms of just pure upside with Elijah Green. So that's why I still have him as high as I do in my rankings. I have him top 20 right now just because of that upside is so immense. But again, Holiday, very good as well. But 
All right, next question here. All right, where was it? Oh, yeah. Which bottom 100 prospect could make the majors and break out in 2023? You know, looking at the bottom part of my top 100, you know, some people we've talked about, you know, last episode with pitching prospects, like Bobby Miller, I think, if you see him the chance, or Brennan Thought, those are both guys in like the you know back third or so of my top 100. Maybe someone, I don't know, James Outman I do like, but he's kind of blocked now with them adding David Peralta. Maybe an Addison Barger. I have him like right around 100 overall. If he gets a chance, like he's shown, you know, solid power, you know, decent enough hit tool where I think he can make an impact. So those are a couple of names that I look to. Did you have any difference, Chris? I think Michael Bush could get a chance. And, yeah, good one. Yeah, I mean, he's more than ready. He's certainly of age now, 25 years old. So whether it's with the Dodgers or another team, I think Michael Bush is ready. And, I mean, he's got the power. He's got the OVP. He should hit the ground running. I do think that Will Brennan is another who could really take off. Another 25-year-old, he has debuted. And I don't think Miles Straw is going to keep him from playing time. So Will Brennan's one that I look at and, and really like. A pitching side. I'll go with Trey Jameson, who's like just outside my top 100. Really liked what I saw from him. He debuted last year. I think he has a chance to just really hit the ground running when he comes up, and I think he will earn a spot to consistently pitch in that Arizona rotation. So those would be mine to look out for that I think could get some time. And I'll even throw in Tanner Bybee as well with Cleveland. Espino, obviously setback majorly. So... Tanner Bybee could get a shot before long, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Bybee really take off. I mean, he already has, but at the major league level, it could be fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of of fun names there. I like Tanner Bybee as well. Since you mentioned Espino, we had a couple of Espino questions here that I'm trying to find. Oh, there we are. So let's get those in right now. First one was, how are you approaching and valuing Daniel Espino going forward with the new shoulder injury? So, obviously, that's a bummer. You know, we are hoping that, all right, you know, even though we had kind of a lack of information last year about it, and you hear a little bit here and there, but it was really hush-hush for the most part. We are kind of hoping, all right, you know, new year, off-season, hopefully, you know, plenty of time for him to rest up. And he's just, all right, minor speed bump. You missed a lot of time. And he was like, put it behind him and have a great year. But now, already, you know, having more issues with that shoulder. And those shoulder issues are always concerning. You know, obviously any injury is, but really, you know, I get more concerned about shoulder issues than elbow issues. I think there's more strain put on shoulders, obviously, from pitching. So when there's recurring shoulder issues at such a young age, that is very concerning to me. And obviously everyone knows I love Espino. Like he has number one pitching prospect upside. That's why, you know, I dropped him down my rankings, but at the same time, there's a sizable gap in my pitching prospect rankings in terms of where they are in my overall. Like once you get past like, you know, Hunter Brown and Tink Hens that are both like in the 45 to 55 range, then it drops down like 20 or so spots down to like the Bobby Millers, the Fots, Gavin Stones, Tanner Bybees, you know, Bryce Millers, et cetera. So I'm not quite ready to bump him down that far, but he did bump past all the other guys in that top you know, top 55 area, but he's still like top 60-ish overall for me right now. Where have you dropped him down to your, in your rankings, Chris? I think he's going to fall into the tier back with Bobby Miller, 
Tanner Bybee, that that range overall. So, so you're ready to put him down there. Yeah, that's 70 overall for me. So, I mean, I've already been concerned. The upside's tremendous, but just isn't good. I mean, all the injuries last year, the shoulder injuries lingered for a long time at this point. For me, it's really hard to keep him up here. I think his dynasty stock has dropped a good bit. I'm bumping his ETA to 2024. I don't think we see him this year. And I thought originally that we probably would. But I'd say there's as strong of a chance that he stays hurt and doesn't make it as there is that he does make it and is an effective starter at the big leagues, which is a bit concerning. But how often do we see injuries just derail these guys' careers, especially with pitching prospects? And so yeah. no matter the talent, it's tough. And I think you got to give him a decent little drop there. So around 70 overall for me, and that's down from 42 where he previously was. So that dropped a decent bit. And... I have legit concerns about just the health, not the stuff, but just the health. Right. So, yeah, the drop for each of us was actually pretty similar. I, he went from 33 to 59 in mines. That's a 26 spot drop, and you had him at a 28 spot drop, 42 to 70. So, pretty similar in terms of the overall drop. And he actually has good, gotten closer to, you know, the the Bybee Miller range. He's still about 10, 12 spots in front of those guys, but I don't know. It, it's hard. I guess I'm going to wait and see, you know. We keep getting more updates on this, and they're not positive. Yeah, he's going to continue to fall down. And, yeah, I'm starting to wonder, like, is he ever going to be the arm that we thought he could be? Does he end up moving to the bullpen at some point? Does he end up just having this completely derail his career? Like we've seen with others like Forrest Whitlow. He had different issues as well, but we've seen it happen before. You know, Brent Honeywell and Brendan McKay and other guys didn't even have the stuff that – Obviously, they great stuff, but did have, I don't think, the upside, the pure upside that Espino has, where he could have been a, a frontline starter, and I don't throw on that term lightly. So, very, very discouraging. Would you be okay looking to buy low, Chris, right now? Or, you know, obviously, price-dependent, but if the price was in, was fair in your mind, would he? Would you give him a shot on a buy low, or is he someone you're just kind of staying away from altogether right now? I think it just feels best to kind of stay away. It depends on what you can give for him, but I don't know. I feel like somebody that rosters him isn't going to want to sell too low on him. They may just want to get out from under him. It's possible. So if you can get him for a back-end top 100 prospect, then yeah, I'm willing to take that chance. But obviously there's there's no guarantee. And so I guess it's cost-dependent. That's that's the way I'll lean. It just depends on the cost. Yeah, let's say someone came up and offered you like a, I don't know, like a Zach Neto or a Brooks Lee for him. I think I'd rather have both bats. Okay, that's fair. And the other question that had Espino in it, what are your 2023 fantasy expectations for Miguel Vargas, Yuri Perez, and Espino, and for beyond the season as well? I think we both kind of covered it for Espino. We don't think he's up this year, and beyond that, I don't know. We've got to wait and see how this year goes with that shoulder. I think you know once we get more answers on that later in the year, then I think we can kind of formulate updated expectation for him moving forward. Vargas and Yuri, I don't think Yuri's up super early either. I think he's more late season call up, maybe August or so. So I think he, he, I think he will be up this year, but I don't see like a major fantasy impact from him. And long term, I think he's got one of those guys that could have frontline upside, but I'm not as 
gaga over him as most people are. Like when I have Ricky Tiedemann ranked ahead of him, and most people think the scene that's blasphemy for some for some reason, even though Tiedemann's very, very good. But I think I think Yuri's a borderline frontline starter long term. So a guy that could be, you know, a top, you know, twenty ish fantasy starter if everything breaks right. But again, it's a pitching prospect. Who knows? With Vargas, love Vargas. I think he's one of the better pure hitters in the minor leagues right now. A guy that could hit 280 or above, 20 plus home runs. You know, obviously, being in the, you know, hopefully he'll settle in closer to the middle of the lineup for the Dodgers down the road. But I got to figure out where he's playing. Like now he's saying some second base for Vargas. Who knows with Vargas where they're going to put him? So hopefully he can get in that lineup because the bat is legit. Uh, he's hit everywhere he's gone and shown more power over the last couple of years. So I think if Vargas gets every day at bats, he could be sneaky good option this year. Yeah, I do think that Vargas is probably the one that contributes the most. Espino's not going to contribute for fantasy this year. I don't think Yuri Perez contributes much for fantasy this year, to be honest. But I do think that Miguel Vargas does. And I think the Dodgers are willing to let him run with the job. You know, last year wasn't a fair shake of what you saw in the majors. I mean, the dude was playing for his life to try to keep a job at the end of the season. And now he basically has it. Like he's got that job. Vargas is a pretty good athlete. I think he's got underrated speed. His powers you know, closer to average, but the hit tool and field of hit are both really good. I mean, just pure hitter controls the zone really well. He just squares up so many pitches. He can hit it to all fields well, but he's also going to come across home runs too. So I'm not going to be surprised if Vargas plays a full season if we see him go like 2010. Like, yeah, I think that's completely reasonable. He's going to get second base eligibility, it seems like, which is kind of fun. He, he may play all over. So he right. may have some fun eligibility for fantasy. And, you know, it's funny that he actually improved as a runner last year. Like, he, he just, like, reworked his body completely and ultimately just became a better athlete last year, and it showed. And despite a pretty slow start last year, he still managed to slash 304, 404, 511 in the minors. Pretty good numbers there. I, I just think that Vargas is going to be never flashy, but just a really good player. Like I yep. said, Yuri, don't think he contributes. Espino, I would say about a 0% chance he contributes this year for fantasy. Yep, I agreed there. Next question says, call your shot. Name one hitter and one pitcher outside the top 50 prospects who will break out and rise to the top of list this season. You got anybody in mind for this, Chris? Yep. Well, Junior Caminero is going to be inside the top 50 after I move Pino down, but Caminero and Miguel Blyce are the hitters. Pitchers. I, I like Blyce, too. I was going to mention him, too. Yeah, he's... And, I, and as a Red Sox fan, you know, I'm, I'm doubly invested in, in him, so hopefully. Right. It's, it's kind of funny that Ian Kundal told me in July that people in the industry are valuing as top 25 guy and people kind of were like, wow, that's wild. That's crazy. And then Eric Long and Hagen fan put out his top 100 and had Blyce at 20 and just kind of showed that. Yeah. The upside's certainly there. Pitcher. Hmm, this is fun, man. Pitchers are weird, but I'll go to the well of this year's draft class and say, actually, I don't think Dylan Lesko pitches enough to jump up there, so I'll go. Well, let's go back to year before and let's go with Jackson Job. We'll be Job's a good one. Yeah, uh, I, I was looking at Job. I'll go. I was actually I had an easier time with with the pitcher than the hitter, and 
one of these years he's going to do it. He's kind of hinted at it a couple of times already. I'm I'm sticking with the Mick Abel train here. I still think That's there's great one. stuff there. You know, he's slowly getting there. He's kind of you know evolving as a pitcher, kind of going from a thrower to a pitcher slowly but surely. Obviously, not quite as quickly as his organization mate Andrew Painter did. But as we've said before, prospect growth is not linear. Not everybody develops at the same pace or the same way. Stuff is still some of the best stuff you'll see in the minor leagues. Still only 21 and a half years old. Don't, I don't, we might see him. I could see them like calling him up as like a bullpen arm down the stretch if he performs well in upper minors this year. Probably starts at double A, probably gets triple A at some point fairly early in the season. But not much of an impact this year. But I still think there's huge, huge stuff. He's starting to show those incremental improvements. So I like McAble a lot there. Job is another great one as well. And I think, I don't know if Bryce Miller will break out like that highly, but I'm just shout out to Bryce Miller, who's currently 91 for me. I just love Bryce Miller. I think he's really, really good for hitters. You know, I double endorse the Miguel Blaze one that you said, Chris. I mentioned him earlier, but I think Edwin Arroyo is keep rising up rankings a good amount. I love that power speed blend. He shows, you know, he's still only 19 and a half years old. Cincinnati to call home unless he's traded. So I think he could. Gabriel Gonzalez, another name I'll throw out there. Still, he'll be 19 soon, but he shows a nice all-around blend of skills. And just Seattle always has a breakout prospect every year, so why not Gabriel Gonzalez this year? And just an honorable mention to my namesake, Gavin Cross. I think people are sleeping on Gavin Cross. I think a lot more would have been made of what he did late in the season if Dalton rushing didn't absolutely, like, you know, Ruthian on high A. So Gavin Cross, I think, is another one that can jump up in the top 25 this year as well. All right, next up we have, do you see a resurgence from Brady House this season? Do you, Chris? Yeah, 100%. He was, like, significantly hurt <laughs> the, most all the year. And he was, I mean, everybody wants to point to the EVs being crappy and all this stuff, but I think it's important to look at who he was before he was injured. He first dealt with COVID and then he was injured. Like he just had a, a rough year and that was coming off a really good year at the complex in 2021. And obviously good enough to make him the 11th overall pick. He was better than that, in my opinion. But we saw his EVs just drop significantly after the injury. So in April, his 90th percentile EV was 105 miles an hour, which is like above Corey Seager, above Tyler O'Neill, like those guys, like that's pretty good numbers. And he was above average, like zone contact rates. He was chase he wasn't chasing very often. And then when he came off the IL stint, the numbers dropped pretty significantly. And we saw the EVs drop down to like the 90th being like to a hundred. And that seems pretty certain to me that he wasn't fully healthy and the poor performance I think had a lot to do with that because you know, back injuries are nothing to really play around with and ultimately I think that we see house rebound I think that he's a good buy low I mean the the field of hits good I think that his hit tool is underrated and we know the power's there he hasn't really gotten to the power in games yet it's professional but I, I think that Brady house is just being a bit undervalued right now, and I would buy low on him. I agree, and you said it very well. Let me ask you this though: like, where do you think like he bounce? Let's say he bounces back. 
what does that look like to you? Like, does, it, does that put him, does he bounce back to being like, what, like a top 50 prospect, top 25? Like, how much of a bounce back are you saying? Just looking at like the general range of rankings and like trying to figure out like who I'd pop him to, like he could be similar to. I think that in the 50 to 60 range is probably fair right now. Kind of I, I guess they could jump too. there. Yeah. And, you know, maybe, maybe higher. I mean, like, I'm looking at like a Novi Marte, like, and not seeing that much of a difference, in my opinion, long term. Like, I think they could be similar fantasy outputs. So maybe it goes a bit higher, but I, I do think that House will make a big jump this year. I agree. I'm I'm still in on house. Like I'm like, I don't really have anything to add. You said it very well, but yeah, I do think he bounces back. I think he could be a top fifty prospect again. I don't know. I don't know about top twenty five, but I think he could be back in the top fifty. Or not not back into it. He's never really been there. No, actually, no. We I think we were we were ranking him top fifty when he was first drafted, weren't we? I think so. Somewhere in that range. Yeah, yeah. we were. So yeah, I think he can get back from that range for sure. It definitely wouldn't write him off yet by any means. Next we up, we have, we'll keep it with Nats here. Will Christian Vaquero be next year's, or I'm assuming that means this year's, Jackson Churio in Dynasty? Ah, man, that's that's so hard. Well, let me start out by saying it's hard to predict, like, these huge breakouts, like, oh, who will be this year's Ellie? Who will be this year's Churio? There might not be anybody. There's always breakouts, obviously. That's, that's the name of the game with prospects, but to break out, like, you know, like a Churio did, like an Ellie did, like an Andrew Painter did. That doesn't always happen every year, at least not to that extent. So it's hard to answer that. But in general, I like Fraquero a lot. There was a lot of people I talked to back, you know, when he was signed last year that said, like, just like from a pure skills, you know, and, and projection standpoint, that he was the best player in that international crop. And I was kind of in agreement with that. And I still like him a, a ton, obviously, you know, didn't do as much as, you know, didn't have the, Huge, you know, debut like we've seen some guys in that level, but I still think the tools are there for a big breakout. There's still a top 25 prospect upside here. Will we see that? I don't know, but I'm still willing to buy in Dynasty Leagues right now because I think the upside's there. I think the price is respectable, so I'm definitely still in on, on Requero, but will it be this just Cheerio? I don't know about that. Yeah, I'm in. I'm definitely buying i think this is the prime time to buy like these hyped international prospects if they struggle in the first stint of pro ball and yeah i think we saw positives out of vaquero he's definitely a great athlete he's got a excellent frame that should fill out with more power and i mean he showed he had double plus clock times and i think there's plus power in the profile too showed a pretty good feel for the strikes on i mean 15% walk rate. I know don't put a lot of stock in the DSL stats, but still like those, those things are certainly encouraging to see. So yeah, I, I think I am buying Vaquero this off season, but I'm not going to say like, he's going to vault up and be like Centurio. Yeah. That, that's just hard to say. Like some, so little people break out to that level. But again, I think we both said similar things where we're still very much in on Vaquero. Definitely some breakout appeal there. I definitely love love the tools. All right, some little infield questions here. Will Which second base prospect will have the most fantasy relevance in 2023? Edward Julian, Connor Norby, Joey Ortiz, Michael Massey, others. 
Honestly, this might be the least sexy name on the list. But for 2023, give me Michael Massey. We don't know when we're going to see Julian. That infield's already crowded in Minnesota, especially, you know, with, when uh, Royce Lewis gets healthy in May or so. Who knows when we see, even see Royce Lewis. So I'm not sure we see Julian early. I think Norby could be up early. But again, Baltimore has a lot of infield options as well, including Joey Ortiz. Michael Massey is, looks like he's going to be the second baseman in Kansas City. And yeah, the profile isn't sexy, but it's a guy that's hit, hit for average in the minor leagues. He's got a little bit of a little bit of speed. Maybe he's like a you know fifteen home run, ten steal guy, or something like that with a decent enough average. So I think he could be like a sneaky you know leader round option this year. So give me Massey for twenty twenty three. Yeah, I do feel like Massey is the easiest path to playing time among these players. I'm not sure that the Orioles are ready to push Norby. Like you said with Julian, there's just not a spot for him. Ortiz, honestly, as much as I like him, there's not a, a real spot for him right now either. And I think that Massey is just the best path to playing time just because you know, Kansas City doesn't really have anybody. He should be the everyday second baseman. Should get 500 plate appearances at least. And so that just gives him such a leg up over the others. So from that standpoint, I'll take Massey. All right. Double endorsement for Michael Massey. Next one, Esturi Ruiz, in or out, ceiling slash floor. Discuss, please, with a smiley face. I mean, I I like Ruiz a bit. Like it's, We talked about him last episode, too, so I don't go super in-depth. I think the speed is legit. Playing time is going to be there, so you could see 30 steals this year. And if the bat is just not completely crap, which I, I don't think it will be crap. I think it'll be, you know, maybe he's 250 with 10 home runs. And if that comes with 30 steals and, you know, some at least a decent amount of runs scored, because he'll be probably hitting high in that lineup and you know, getting on, you know, stealing a lot of bags. And he could have some sneaky value this year. Just don't expect anything close to what he showed with the bat in the upper minors last year. We talked about that last episode, but I think uh, maybe poor man's Whit Merrifield, something like that. I think that's what we're looking at here. Yeah, he's a weird one, man. I'm just be honest. Like, he doesn't hit the ball hard. I think the power was a bit overinflated in the hitter-friendly environments. His contact skills are fine. The speed's obviously elite. I'm, I don't know, I'm at such a weird place of what to do with him, to be honest. And I think that he's one of the harder players to rank and evaluate right now. Unfortunately, he's in a terrible lineup in a terrible park. But that may allow him to run more. Yeah. I think he's an average hitter. I think he's got below average power, and I think he's got a, a game-changing speed. So my concern is that, like, the one-trick pony type things typically don't work out. And you might you might sit here and say, like, he's going to be more than that because you look at he had 16 home runs and stole 85 bases last year. Like, this is Jonathan VR. But, like, Jonathan VR's re- relevance lasted all of, like, two years. And that's kind of my concern. It's just this profile just doesn't usually work out very well. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I don't know. I am just concerned he's not an everyday player long term. But for this year, he may still use plenty of bases. So if you're looking for stolen bases, then Mr. Ruiz might be your guy. But I'll say the ceiling is Jonathan VR. The floor is like... Oh, man. 
not not Billy. able to even make the Oakland Athletics. That's yeah, like Billy Hamilton. Oh, Billy Hamilton. Yeah. No, it's, it's funny what, what you were just talking about Ruiz. I just have another player that actually is probably pretty similar now. Who would you take? Someone can put off you. All right, you can take one of these two players, the roster and dynasty moving forward. Would you take Ruiz or would you take Vidal Bruhan? Ruiz. I just think Bruhan's just, I think he has nothing left. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm there with you. I do. I, I think we've already, I, I'm not like, I don't think we should be shutting the door on Bruhan. But at the same time, I mean, we haven't got had a chance to see Ruiz really, you know, at the major league level for the most part. So I want to at least give him a shot, see what he can do. You know, obviously, I agree 100% that the bat is not going to be great. It might not be terrible if he can just exit 250 with 8 to 10 home runs. That's all we're asking is I cooked him with 30 plus steals. Like this guy was like said 85 steals last year. And he's a elite elite speed he's gonna be able to run wild i don't see why they wouldn't give him the green light out there in oakland so at least give the fans something to cheer for maybe i can go for 40 steals i don't know he's got that type of speed all right next up here we have where to go oh yeah so top five or ten college guys to look at for next year's fypd in the interest of time i'll just say we did we did an episode on that about, I don't know, it was four or five, I think it was episode 180, 181, something like that, with Joe Doyle about the top college players, both hitters and pitchers, to be in the look for, you know, this collegiate season, this spring, and the draft this summer. So go back and check that out. That was a great episode. Joe Doyle, very, very knowledgeable. This is what he does. So provided a lot of great insight on guys like, you know, Doe Lander and Wyatt Langford and many, many others. Jacob Gonzalez. We talked to probably 15, 20 guys, something like that. So. Go back and check out that episode. I'll give you all you need to know on that. A couple of strategy questions here. Do you try and layer your prospects by level? Some AAA, some low A, complex league. Do you change the strategy between win now and rebuild? What are your thoughts, Chris? Yeah, I do think more so age than level because we see guys all the time that just ultimately are young at the level or old at the level. So more so by age than level. And I try to look at ETAs to like try to predict that out. So I think it is important to layer it, but also like my strategy in dynasty is literally just continuing to like cycle prospects and trade them. So largely is irrelevant for me in that sense. Do it, does the strategy change between when now and rebuild? Not in particular, but if you're rebuilding, like just going out and acquiring a bunch of prospects is a bad move. Like you should be trying to acquire like young MLB players that have already shown something in MLB because the prospect bust rate is so high. So you should be targeting a player like Michael Massey in a rebuild just because like he's already in the majors and he's shown that he can play with the big boys. Not every prospect's gonna be a be able to do that. Even the top prospects, some of them may not pan out to be even as good as Michael Massey. So the strategy, in my opinion, is ultimately just to get the best players available, have the best prospects in your system, and then churn them. Pick up the next guy. Keep in win-now mode, in my opinion. Yep. No, I, I definitely agree. And I I have mentioned, you know, layering your prospects. And I, I like to use the uh, the reference from Shrek where he's like, Ogre have, ogres have layers, and he's peeling the onion or donkey. That's the way I kind of look at it. And, you know, more so, it's kind of hard to, always have you know the next wave and then a further away wave you can do so a little bit easier in like a, an initial startup dynasty draft 
where you can get guys like your Gunnar Hendersons or your Volpes that are close and obviously will contribute a, a good amount this year. Then you can go out and get the guys like like the Edwin Arroyos, for instance, that are you know a couple couple years away that are your your next wave. But then it's, it's kind of hard to always have that perfect balance. But yeah, it definitely use guys. You know, obviously there'll be some players that you kind of want to hold on to just to see, like like if you got Jordan Walker right now, like you might want to hold on to Jordan Walker just to see what he can do if you can you know vault up into a you know top twenty overall player. But for the most part, don't be afraid to. You know, if you're in a win now mode, use these guys to keep, you know, to retool your your team and stay in contention for for many years to come. Don't be afraid to trade these guys. Like we've seen we've seen it happen time and time again. The big names don't always work out. Again, I'll go back to my my former prospect heartthrob crush, Jared Kalnick. You know, we see it all the time. Uh, it's very, you know, that's just the the way it goes with most prospects. They don't always work out, unfortunately. Wish they did. But that can't happen. All right. Says strange question. I'd like to hear where you guys would rank FYPD picks in your rankings. I know there's a lot of variables at play, but just curious what what players you'd rank around the picks. So we already have both of us have this year's F. And I I asked I asked a question to see if it was for 2022 or 2023. And this person said 2022. So we already have these guys in our rankings. So you can go check out our rankings. Mine are over on my Patreon. Chris's are over on his sub stack. And I just, you know, some like the top guys like like Drew Jones is, you know, right around top ten overall for me, kind of like in that Ezekiel Tovar range. And then I have like Green and Holiday right around like top twenty overall, which is in the same range as like Ricky Tiedemann, Colton Cowser, guys like that. Termar Johnson's around thirty overall. Then some of the Kalicha guy, you know, like like the Delat well Delatter before he got hurt again, which sucks. He had the another foot injury, I believe it was, so he dropped a little bit. But him, Gavin Cross, Spencer Jones, they're all like in my sixty to seventy range or so. I don't, I don't have anything to add to that. They're they're all ranked, and so you can go check that out if you'd like. But yeah. All right. Next question. If your team is in a win now contention, who are the prospects that could help quicken a build years from now when the win now window closes? I.e., guys, one point five plus years from from debut, and not in the top seventy five ish prospects. So, probably talking guys that are twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five debut that are outside that top seventy five or so. Let's see here. You know, I some sort of like look at guys I have in that range. Some of the guys, some like Brooks Lee, I think is, is a good one there. Colt Keith, I like Carl Jorge a lot. I think he's more 2025 debut. Zach Neto, he might be up this year. Maybe you can go after a guy like Colson Montgomery. I think he's up next year. You know, maybe even like a Owen White. Kate Marlowe's probably up this year. Maybe an Everson Herrera. Those are some names that are kind of just sticking out to me at first glance do you have any other names chris drew gilbert's one that caught my eye where i think that oh yeah would be a big impact and the astros have actually said they want to push him which is interesting i mean he got minimal time before he got hurt after being drafted last year but they said they want to push him which is pretty wild Preston foskey is interesting i think that he could yeah. debut 2024 maybe is that geloff yeah geloff we may see geloff this year but who knows I mean, we they might just have a weird blend of i don't know what on the roster right now so i think they know what they have either that's true andy pajas 
I don't see him debuting this year. He may late. The Dodgers don't have a spot for him. He wants some power. Like, I don't see him just like flying up or anything. Like, I think we know what he is. But just looking at these ETAs and filling another one, maybe a, maybe a Mason Hour. I like yeah, Mason, Mason Hour a good amount. Really good one, actually. Grant McRae, he's in yep. with the Giants. I think where he could, I mean, he's like 150 range. So like I do think going to fly up boards this year. It's going to be Owen Casey with the Cubs, and he's probably late 2024, 2025 maybe, but he's yeah. certainly one. I don't know. There's a, a wide variety of ways you can really go here. And honestly, like if your team's in win now contention, just try to layer it. Like a win now team shouldn't fall out of contention in three years. Like you said, quicken or rebuild. Like you should just constantly be having guys. Like, so for instance, like if I have Freddie Freeman on a dynasty roster, like I may be trading Freddie Freeman for Pete Alonso just to drop a few years. Like doing stuff like that, like lengthens your contention window and like always stay in win now mode if you can. Like you shouldn't feel like you have to rebuild at any point. So, my best advice would be just like to, if you have older players, they're still really valuable, just like cash out on them and get a bit younger. So that's what I would do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the way to sustain success in Dynasty Leagues long term. If you do it right, you'll never have to. If once you get to the mountaintop, so to speak, if you do it right and, you know, when, the, like Chris mentioned, you're going from Freeman to Alonzo, maybe you get, you know, a little second piece in there. If you know when to do that and how to do it well, you can maintain being a contending team for many, many years to come. All right, that's kind of wraps up the prospect questions here. Moving over to some major league questions. This was a fun one. Who's well, all these have been fun, but who's more valuable in 2024 and 2025? Garrett Cole or Spencer Strider? This one was hard for me to answer. Do you are you swaying one way or the other here, Chris? No, I I don't know. I'm. It's I'm hard, isn't it? I, yeah, I think that they are in a similar tier, and will be after this year. Man, I think Cole's just your better bet to throw innings. That's kind of where but, I'm leaning. Like he he feels like a safer selection here, though it wouldn't surprise me at the slightest if it was Strider. No, I I mean. With regression, Strider with more innings could still be an ace. So I I really do think that it's close, but I feel more comfortable with Cole just because he's done it for longer. He can throw a lot of innings consistently, but I'm not going to be the le- least bit surprised if it's Spencer Strider. Yeah, and I think I forget when it was, probably multiple times that we talked about. You know, if Strider kind of, you know, regresses a little bit, what it would look like. And I feel like we basically put him in the range of what Garrett Cole is doing now, just with more innings. So, yeah, I if it's just for 2024 and 2025, if it was 2023 and 2024, I would say Cole. 2024 and 2025, that 2025 year is what I'm starting to question, or it might be Strider then, but I don't know. I, I will just give an answer. I will say Cole, but. Also, again, just wouldn't be surprised if if it was Strider because he is really damn good and really legit. And another one here, a bunch of or a couple of fun young arms, and this one tore me to shreds. I do have an answer. I'll let Chris go first. 
Shane Boz or Edward Cabrera long-term? I'm going with Boz. I think that Boz just has so much more upside. And I think Boz has potential ace-level stuff. He's got to get healthy. And hopefully with his TJ behind him, like, he'll be fine. So, you know, it's going to take him a bit, but I think he'll push up and be way more valuable than Cabrera. So I I agree. I think Boz has ace upside. We, we've seen it in small bursts, like seeing what he did in the upper minors in 2021, I think is 100% legit. Like I said, any, everything he said he was going to do when I interviewed him back in 2020, he did. So I'm definitely on board with Boz. It just needs the help to get there. And I'm definitely like, I've been pushing Eber Cabrera. I've tweeted about him. I've written about him. I've talked about him on this podcast. Love Eber Cabrera a lot. I think he's going to be a huge breakout this year. But I think Boz is slightly better stuff. And Boz and Cabrera's got great stuff too. Like I've tweeted about the whiff rates on, on his offerings, you know, the batting average against on his offerings. Very good stuff. I think just Boz is that extra level that I don't think Cabrera can get to. Like, let's just say everything clicks with these guys and they, and they reach, you know, near their ceilings. I think Boz is like a back end top 10 fantasy arm. Cabrera's probably more in like the 16 to 20 range. I, I do think he's at that much upside, but I will go Shane Boz here. But in general, both are probably two of my favorite dynasty buys right now. Obviously, Boss because he's injured. You can get him for a discount. And Cabrera because I just think he's ready to break out in a big big way this year. Go out and get these guys is what I'm saying. Who shakes out long-term in the Reds outfield? Gee, I don't know. <laughs> the Reds are... Actually, the Reds have... If you look at their prospects, like this actually probably is one of my favorite minor league systems, kind of low-key. Because they have a lot of talent. A lot of that is in the infield right now, though. But you can't play everybody in the infield. So maybe we see, you know, obviously Matt Matt McLean has already played some outfield. I think he's probably goes out there long term. Could we see like a Marte move to a corner outfield spot? Maybe an Ellie. I could see him moving to a corner outfield spot. Like, I don't think any of this is out of the realm possibility. Spencer Steer fits in there somehow. Maybe even Carlos Bray can go to center field. I don't know. I don't have a great answer for this right now. I know there's a lot of fun prospects on the hitting side of things in this system, like Ellie, Noel V, Arroyo, Encarnacion Strand, Collier, you know, Carlos Jorge, Spencer Steer even. I have no idea how it's going to shake out. But what I do know is I think Nick Senzel will finally cease to exist as a thing 100% in, you know, by the end of this year. It's highly possible. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't have a good answer either. I I will say that I don't think that Ellie moves to the outfit. I think Ellie's actually a really good shortstop. And I think I Ellie too. Ellie stands as good of a chance to stick there as, as anybody. They have so many players, so it's like, where do these prospects fit in? The reality is like half of them aren't gonna make it. So from that standpoint, like yeah, think about that. I do think Noelle moves over to third. That's something I'm pretty comfortable saying. Edwin Arroyo's really good, really smooth in the field. He's probably their best glove in the system, so he may force Ellie off the position. I think Cam Collier's a third baseman through and through, and that may... I mean, he's got a good arm. I think he's an average glove. People kind of want to knock that, but I think he's fine in the field. Spencer Steer, he's going to be a utility guy, probably play all over the place. I could see Matt McClain playing some center field. That'd be kind of interesting. But, man, at the end of the day, like, 
they have so many guys, and it's honestly too soon to try to really figure this out. Yeah. What I do know is that it always works itself out because half the guys won't make it, some of them will be traded. So I'm not particularly worried about it at this point, and I'm not particularly worried about positions with prospects. I just want the best available guys. Yep, agreed there. It's it's going to be fun to see how this shakes out. I got people have asked me this on Twitter too. Like I said, I could see you. You could probably list off three guys that could be their shortstop long term. Three guys could be their threat. You mentioned we, obviously I agree with Noel V. Collier could be that. You know where does Encarnacion strand fed in? Where does Jorge fed in? It's just so many guys. And yeah, you mentioned there's some get traded, some get hurt, some won't pan out. So it'll be fun to see how this does shake out because you're gonna start seeing some of these. You know the fruits of the you know what, what's the the fruits of the loom from their trend. No, that's not. What, what am I trying to say? The the fruits, you know, the saying I'm trying to say, Chris. Fruits of their labor. Thank you. That's what I'm trying. Fruit, not fruit of the loom. That's an underwear company. Is that is that still around? Is fruit of the loom still around? I have no clue. I assume I remember, so. But I see all the commercials. All the I guess I don't have cable anymore. It's probably why I don't see commercials for them. But yeah, everyone knew what I was trying to say there. But you're going to see some of these guys come up like this year. You're probably going to get oh, who we gonna get? I see maybe not. You know, well, obviously we'll get Spencer Steer this year maybe Ellie or Noel V late, but if not, we'll see them in 2024. Could see Encarnacion Strand 2024, McLean in 2024. Then you get like Collier, actually Collier, Jorge, I was kind of blending those two names, Arroyo, more so 2025. So these next couple of years, you're going to see these guys and it'll start taking shape in one way, way, shape, or form. But I guess what I can say is, again, I just don't think anybody in the current outfield, which is Senzel, Fraley, even though I do like Fraley a bit, but he might be a platoon guy long-term, and T.J. Friedel, they're probably not going to be the outfield in a couple of years. Just don't know exactly what the outfield will look like. All right, a few more here. We got about, I think, three more questions here before we wrap up the show. Rank this group of 24-slash-25-year-old, and then they put in parentheses post-hype with a question mark, outfielders. Akil Badu, Alec Burleson, Kerry Carpenter, Justin Dearden, Cade Merlot, Michael Talia. Man, I mean, somebody, I, I don't think you can put some of these guys in the post hype. Yeah, I, Badu is if definitely there. I, I don't think you, it's too early to put Burleson, Carpenter, really any of the other ones in the post hype. But just to answer the question, my t- top two here are pro, or top three, I'll say, are Burleson. Kerry Carpenter and Cade Marlowe. I think Badu is more of a backup outfielder. Justin Deere didn't put up some good stats last year, but I don't know if I project him as a starter long term. And Michael Tolley, I think this is too much swing and miss. So if I had to take three, I'll take Burleson, Carpenter, and Marlowe. Yeah. Man, the Cardinals are just stacked. And I don't know where Burleson fits in. I know. Concerning part for the immediate future. I would say it's Kerry Carpenter, Michael Tolia. I actually do like Tolia a bit and think he has a chance to be decent in Colorado. I like Cade Marlowe, and he may get a crack this year with the Mariners, or he could get traded. Hard to say, but I think that I have to go Kerry Carpenter first just from the chances he's going to get. I just think Badu just, I'm not sure Badu's going to be a guy. I think Badu just massively overperformed coming out of that Rule 5 draft year, and I'm not sure he gets back close to that level. So I'll probably go something like Kerry Carpenter, 
Cade Marlowe, Alec Burleson, just because he's blocked, I think he would jump up if he had a play somewhere in, in Michael Tolia. Yep, I agree there. Tolia can mag. He can hit some dingers. Just will he keep the swing and miss in check enough? We'll see. Uh, like I said the power is definitely exciting. So I'm not I'm not come out on, on Tolia, but yeah, Kerry. He might be the least sexy name there, but he's going to play this year. So he's at least had that going for him. And I, I picked him in our that little exercise we did out at First Pitch Arizona, our rookie only draft that we're actually going to play out. I took Kerry Carpenter, I think, somewhere in the middle rounds just because I, I was like, hey, he's got solid power. He's going to play. You know, maybe he gives me a little something this year. Two more questions. Next one here is, oops, I went to the wrong tab. There we go. Would love to hear what you guys think of Johan Oviedo going forward as a starter. What are your thoughts on Oviedo, Chris? I actually like the stuff a decent bit. I wonder, though, if he's more of like a long relief type of guy. Now, I did see that Rich Hill was working with him and teaching him some things, and Rich Hill has been pretty nasty throughout his career. So, oh, you, you know, mean maybe, Nick Mellon? I mean, it's highly possible that... uh it become something. And I don't know. I mean, I, I don't I actually don't like what Pittsburgh did at all this offseason to kind of block some of these guys. I think I, know. I think they should see what Luis Ortiz and Yoan Oviedo have and bring to the table. But right now, they've just kind of blocked them with Vince Velasquez and even Rich Hill, which doesn't make sense to me, but they didn't ask me. So I, I do think there's a chance that they earn a spot. They probably start in AAA, though, which is my concern. But at the end of the day, like I think that Ortiz and Oviedo could be something. So I'm willing to take a chance, you know, really late just to say like it's a possibility because there's decent stuff there. And I don't know. I'm just concerned about the role ultimately and how it'll shake out, but I'm willing to take a late shot on them. Yeah, I, I am. I am too. I think Oviedo has at least some upside, at least more than Velasquez or Brubaker bring to the table. Like we, we saw, you know, a little bit of Oviedo last year. He was mostly out of the pen, only only made the one start. But you know, he pitched fairly well. Low three ERA, xERA was right in line with that. Mostly worked fastball, slider, you know, th- mixing the curveball with over ten percent of the time as well. Does some decent whiff rates on the, on the slider and changeup, which you only use about five and a half percent. Average ninety six. Again, that was in relief though, so it ticked up a little bit. He's gotten some decent ground ball rates too. So, I think there's definitely some potential here for Oviedo and Ortiz as well. Like I hundred percent agree. Like, their rotation should be Mitch Keller, Ranzi Contreras, and then the three, four, five should be. Something like Oviedo, Ortiz, and like, you know, throw like Mike Burroughs in there or something like that. I have no idea why they're going, you know, to the Vince Velasquez. Well, Red Shell, I think, was actually a decent, you know, acquisition for them, but it comes like a, like a mentor role. And we've already seen that kind of come to fruition. But I don't think he should be getting a ton of starts. Maybe he's more like long, long relief as a mentor to the young guys. I don't know what they want to do with Brubaker, who's just been mediocre forever. And Velasquez, who's been mediocre even longer than that, I don't get it. But definitely have some upside there. So I would love to see them get a shot. Just kind of, you know, why not? Pittsburgh ain't going anywhere this year. They're still full rebuild mode with no end in sight. Why not get these young guys some innings just to see uh, see what you have on them? Round up the show. Tyler Molly, 
Graham Ashcraft, Spencer Turnbull, Tyler McGill, Pat Pass or Smat. Was this Mendy that commented? <laughs> Mendy's the Smasher Pass guy. More more so with the the random foods, but they're always like really good. It's like some like cool looking like cinnamon toast crunch or something. He always finds the fun stuff down there in Maryland. I gotta go to Maryland apparently. But uh, yeah, so those four: Molly Ashcraft, Turnbull, McGill in Dynasty Smash or Pass. I mean, Molly's fine for what he is now. I mean. We, I'm kind of done expecting him to like take that next step because he's always seems to be, you know, hurt in some way. But he's just like a fine mid rotation fantasy arm. I think if you're a contender, he has some appeal there. Maybe if you're in a rebuild, not so much. Turnbull, you know, coming up injury. I don't know. Maybe in deeper leagues. Same with Ashcraft. Ashcraft and Turnbull are just more deeper league guys for me. Miguel, I think, has some upside. He might be the most intriguing here long term if he can get. A rotation spot him and Peterson are currently kind of out of the mix right now but if they get in they're probably the next two up but they gain to that rotation a lot of older guys in that rotation obviously some injury risk there so I'm still in on McGill I think Molly's a good win now piece Ashcraft and Turnbull decent deeper leagues I guess and McGill is I think a good buy right now yeah I'm not sure the term smash is good for any of these guys yeah yeah I, d- I definitely would say smash yeah. Like 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 late lately tap maybe I don't know. I like Molly. Okay, I like McGill if injuries occur. Yeah, I don't know. I mean Turnbull's probably a, the easiest pass, and Ashcraft yeah. is interesting. He's got interesting stuff, but it just doesn't translate because his cutter drops. Like his cutter is really good, like with high velocity and like it measures really well on things, but it drops rather than cuts like it literally drops into bats which is is weird to me but if he can figure that out i think there's some intrigue with ashcraft and he's going late enough where you, know, you can at least at least see so i don't know i mean turnbull is an easy pass for me i guess molly would be the one that i like the most yeah i think if i had to just pick two i think the easy ones are the two m's molly and mcgill that is going to wrap us up though thank you to everyone that submitted questions we actually got through them all i believe if we missed one or two here and there. I apologize. I thought we got them all, but we, we might have missed one. But that will wrap us up. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode and for submitting those questions. We hope you enjoyed it. This was a fun episode for us to answer all these questions. We'd like to mix these in every now and then. Third episode this week. We'll come back again with hopefully three more episodes next week. Got a lot of fun stuff lined up. But until then, everyone take care. <laughs> <laughs>